For your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay Jesus, my head We thank you for the opportunity oh, to see another day we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that we are not missing you in the year 2022. We thank you for anointing our eyes with eyes so that we might see. We thank you for having ears that hear. We thank you that we are sensitive to your leading to your promptings. We thank you that you have strengthened us with might in our inner man. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you left the 99 to seek after the one. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. Wow. We thank God that we are really grateful to God for this opportunity to continue our discussion. God to continue our podcast. And today we are starting a new topic, hopefully to be a brief um, series, a two-part series. And we are titling this one, At the Gate of Samaria. At the Gate of of Samaria and our reading will be from 2nd Kings ideally it should be from 2nd Kings chapter 7 verse 1 following but we will need a bit of um, context so let's just read 2nd Kings chapter 7 then Elisha said hear ye the word of the Lord that says the Lord tomorrow about this time there shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then the Lord, on whose the king's arm leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make heavens in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thy eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gates, and they said to one another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will go into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we would also die. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us, if they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up at twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. <laughs> wow. For the Lord had caused, had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said to one another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites, the Egyptians, to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses even the camp as it was and fled and fled for their life and when the lepers came to the outermost part of the camp they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and they went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried then also and went and hid it then they said to one another we do not do well this day we do not do well. This day is a good day. It's a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore, 
come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And they called the porters, and they told it to the house, to the king's house within. And the king rose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, are gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of the servants answered and said, Let us take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remained, which are left in the city, and let us send them and see. Verse 14. They took their two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 17, And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and the measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gates of Samaria. And the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with the eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Behold, thou shalt see it with the eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. So it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gates, and he died. Wow, wow. We bless God for the reading of his word. This scripture in particular was one of the first um, stories I fell in love with when I became a believer. And it's amazing how sweet and refreshing it is every time we read it. And I hope you're able to follow us and you enjoyed the reading. As I said, our series is titled At the Gate of Samaria. But let me just put a little bit of perspective and context to what had happened. Now, there was famine at Samaria. And the famine came about because the king of Syria had sent his army to surround the city. So for days, the army of the Syrians were encamped around the city of Samaria. So nobody was able to enter and nobody was able to leave. So after a while, all the food that they had, had um, finished. So there was great famine in Samaria. And I'm sure most of you may have been familiar with the story that happened where people, the famine was so severe that people had to um, eat or cook their children and eat. And in the chapter 6, which we'll be looking at, you see the story of two women who had made an agreement that let us cook my child and eat then tomorrow we will cook your child, then you also eat. And when the king heard about this, he was so angry that he asked for the head of the prophet. So that was when the king sent an army to the prophet, demanding for his life. And it was when 
the king and the army went to the prophet that the prophet made a statement he made and that's what we started reading that's in the chapter 7 verse 1 when Elisha answered and said that says the Lord tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria so when the prophet answered this the king had come to see him with his, his army and his chief in command and the, yeah, the Bible describes him the man in whom the king leads on so when Elisha made this declaration the man answered and said now what I said is God going to open windows in heaven and pour out what you are saying he will happen or and make windows yeah so verse 2 behold if the Lord will make windows in heaven might this thing be then the prophet answered and said because of this statement you have made thou shalt see it with thy eyes but thou shalt not eat thereof so that's the story we read but I just want us to appreciate what is going on here so now let's let us go to the verse 6 so let's say um, from the verse so let, let me put a bit of, of story so what happened was this King Ahab who was the king of Samaria at that time you know King Ahab used to mess up a lot then God was going to punish him by sending famine into the land but then King Ahab sort of repented and God made a decree that because Ahab has repented, the farming that he had meant for Ahab and his reign, his son is rather going to suffer for it. And that's what happened. So how did God call the farming to come? God stirred up the Syrians to wage war against the Samarians. And that was when they formed the camp around um, Samaria and they prevented nobody from coming in or going out. So what the, the strategy of the Syrians was, or where they would encamp around the, the wall, and they had a constant supply of food and water. But they knew that it's just going to be a matter of time. And the Samarians would run out of food, run out of water, so they'll be forced to open their gates and come out for food. So either they fight or they would die in the, in the city walls out of hunger or thirst or whatever. So that's what happened. And let's see from the this in chapter six. So let's see from the verse um verse um let's say 30. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the women, that is the woman that said that we agree that I will bore my child we eat. The next day we bore this one's child we eat. So the first one bore the child in the earth, the second one was hiding the child. So when the king heard this statement, that is where he rent his garment and he was wearing sackcloth. Then look at what he said in verse 31. That's 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 31. And he said, God do so and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, should stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat there with him. And the king sent a man before him. So this is when the king sent um, the army against Elisha. And look at the verse 33. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came to him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So that's why they wanted to kill Elisha. Because they said the famine they were suffering was a result of God. 
So why should they wait for God? Was he the one only punishing us? So I believe I'm getting an interesting context to what is going on over here. So tonight in today's episode, we just want to look at the surroundings or the context to what happened at the gate of Samaria. That's actually in the verse 4 when it starts with the lepers. So the first thing that I want you need to appreciate from this scripture is the influence of events that occurred before our arrival and the influence of things that occur in the spiritual. We need to have a healthy appreciation for this. So the only reason why the king of Samaria was suffering the famine was not necessarily because of his action, neither was it because of Elisha, but it was because of Ahab because of what his father had done. But then, this is the interesting thing. Ahab had repented. So God said that, I won't bring the punishment to you, but I'll bring it to your son. And this is one thing that we need to appreciate. And I believe on this episode, we talked about the fact that people like Lot experience deliverance from Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, not necessarily because of who Lot was, but because who he was associated with we need to have a healthy appreciation of the influence and the things we enjoy or otherwise because of our association. So just because this king was a son of Ahab, that is why during his time he suffered famine. That's why the Bible also says that he who walks with the wise shall become wise and the companion of fools shall be destroyed. I think that's in Proverbs 7 verse 25. So just because you are working, just because you are associating yourself with people who are wise, automatically you become wise. And just keeping company with fools, you would suffer the distraction of fools. We need to have a healthy appreciation of what our association has on us. We really need to be mindful about these things. That is why we need to be deliberate on the people we associate ourselves with. I remember one day I was into a spiritual instructor and he was talking about how I think he wanted to learn about church growth. And the person who had the largest church at that time was in South Korea. And he was now starting his church or at the early stages of his church. And he wanted to get close to this man just to experience the power of association. But he realized actually the protocol around the man, you know, big men, before you see them, it's one <laughs> journey. So he realized that it would take him a while to get close to this man of God. So what he did was that he noticed somebody, I think a Ghanaian, if I, I know he didn't really say what the person was a Ghanaian, but he noticed somebody who was on this pastor's board and became friends with the person. So he became friends with the person he wanted, he became friends to somebody who was associated with the man he wanted to get in close with just because he had an appreciation of the value of association. The reason why you are where you are is because of your parents. If your parents were Mr. and Mrs. Jeff Bezos, you would nowhere be listening. You would nowhere be where you are today. You need to appreciate these things. The second thing we need to appreciate is that the influence or is the, the effects of the influence of our choices we are making on lives that are also connected to us. Because of Ahab, that is why his son was suffering. And you see, this son was ignorant in that fact, and he was rather blaming it on Elisha. That is why he wanted to go and kill Elisha. 
or he was rather blaming it on God. That's why he was angry at Elisha. But he had little idea of the fact that it was because of the lifestyle of Ahab. There are two things I want us to appreciate from this. The first one is this. You need to be conscious about the choices you are making today. Is I always say, when I see people on campus, when I was on campus, and I noticed how careless they were with their life, how they were taking things for granted, I just felt sad because some people, due to their actions and their inactions, their children are going to suffer some things that they have no business suffering from. You know, many a times we think that the only inheritance we can give to our children are financial blessings. But one important thing is a blessing or a curse. We need to appreciate the fact that because of the life you live, your children would inherit a blessing or a curse. You see, that sometimes it's so sad when you see leaders of nations who are jeopardizing the entire nation because of their stomach and because of their selfishness. They have a little idea, they have little idea the effects of what their choices are going to have on generations yet unborn but connected to them. So for them, they think they are amassing wealth so that their children, their grandchildren will go to the best schools, have the best jobs, live the best kind of life. But they forget the influence of the spiritual, which is basically a blessing or a curse. So even though the son of Ahab inherited the throne of his father, he also inherited the punishment that was due his father. We need to be conscious of these things. That is why I remember one day, I remember this incident so well when I was on campus. There was a classmate of mine who apparently used to um, sleep with ladies, as we say, left, right, center. Then I think one day I was in his presence and one lady of a sort called, and you know, as you can imagine the news, I'm pregnant. And whether it's true or not, I, I didn't stay to get the the feedback <laughs> or to get the whole conversation. But then the guy from, I was with the guy, so I, I was hearing the guy's side of the story. He was downplaying it. And the lady, he was just making a mockery of the lady, making those statements. And from the phone, I could hear the lady crying at the background. And after the long conversation and the guy was just um, annoying the girl by making some remarks, I could hear the lady sigh deeply and the lady made some statements to the guy or spoke some statements to the guy and cut the line. And the guy just, when he cut the line, the guy was laughing. Like, hey, maybe I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something about the girl wanted to spend my money or whatever. This may be true or it may not be true. You know, wrong ladies do that because they want money or something. But just look at the result of pain this young man, if it is true, has introduced into this young lady's life. And these are the things that we really take for granted. And all we are obsessed about is getting a political position, getting a good job, so that our children will have the best physical life, forgetting that they inherit a blessing or a curse. Now, the second thing I want us to appreciate from this point also is that because of things like this, I keep repeating that being an unbeliever, it's very risky. I like to use the phrase that being an unbeliever, you are simply a rat in the lab of life. Because there is a hundred percent surety that people in our past, I'm talking about parents, grandparents, lives connected to us may have messed up. And whether we appreciate it or not, there are some battles we are going to fight because of their messenger. And you see, this is not an African thing. And you know, for the Africans, we have 
um, we are on the extreme of this, that every single thing we associate it to a curse or we associate it to a grandfather or a grand no. We should not take this on the extreme. We should have a healthy relation or a healthy appreciation of the influence of the lives people live before us. That is why if you decide not to accept the Lordship of Jesus, you are literally leaving yourself to what Paul calls the begging elements of this world. That is why the first things that happen when you accept the Lordship of Jesus is that he makes you a new creation. He translates you from the influence, Colossians says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The first thing God does is to change your spiritual location or your spiritual geographical location so that in whichever lineage you are born into, whatever negative consequence is in that lineage, that's the first thing that God deals with. So in Galatians, the Bible says, Galatians 3, that Jesus became a curse because it is written, Cursed be every man that hangeth on the tree. He became a curse so that we could inherit or Jesus Let's, I think we should read that scripture, Galatians 3. It's a very powerful scripture. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I think it's a scripture that it will be really um, good if, if we memorize it. Ideally, if we start from the verse 9, it would be amazing. But let's just look at the verse 13. So that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is one case everybody is subject to. The curse of the law. The curse of breaking the law. More particularly, the Jews. Because the law was directly given to them. But you know, in, in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul dealt with this issue, talking about the fact that whether you are a Jew, you are a subject, whether you are a Gentile, you also have your own wahala. And in the chapter 3, he concluded by saying that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Jews who had the law and they were still disobeying the law, they are in trouble. You, the Gentile, who did not have the law, even your conscience, that's why he made the fact that even the visible things tells us about the invisible God. So all of us are suffering or are under the influence of the curse, the curse of sin. So the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on the tree. So he became a curse. So the verse 14 now, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And everybody who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And I'm most sure that you listening to me, you are Gentile. So God appreciates the influence and the existence of cases because of the case of sin. If, you know, one day a friend, I think I've shared it before in the podcast a, a while ago, a friend was telling me how I think he was doing his national service and he was able to save months of his allowance to be able to buy a decent phone. And one evening he went to pray on campus and he was returning back and two men on the motorcycle came and they asked him for his, like they robbed him that he should bring his phone and his money. And I think he had a coin on him, only a 50 pesos coin or so in his phone. Then they snatched his phone and the, and the guy, there were two guys on the motorbike. And one guy used a cutlass to slash his hand, like cut his hand, not remove it. But he gave him a deep cut on the hand. And he shouted that next time, if you're walking around, hold money. And this guy was in so much pain. He may not utter a case, but these seeds that people like this are sowing, they are consequences. And that's one thing we should appreciate. So even though Ahab did not suffer for his consequences because he repented, 
his child suffered for it. So that is why God dealt with all these things by giving us a huge blessing that negates every curse, which he calls the blessings of Abraham might come upon we, the Gentiles. We need to appreciate these things. Now, so now we have a little bit of the background. So in the light of this situation, then the king went to um, Elisha. That's when he went to threaten him. And it was like, Charlie, I've waited for the Lord. He has not done anything. So I'm not going to wait for the Lord any longer. And let, let, let's just read something in, in the verse, chapter 6, verse 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse 32, a statement Elisha made. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him. But the, but the messenger came to him and said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer, See, so Elisha is talking to his elders and is referring to the king, who is the son of Ahab. And look at how Elisha is referring to the king, the son of Ahab. See, see how this son of a murderer had sent to take away my head. Look, when the messenger come, shut the door and hold him at the, and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master behind you. So he was saying that even though Elisha, the king had sent a messenger to go ahead, actually the king was among the army that were coming to Elisha. And Elisha knew it, of course, by discernment. And he referred to him as the son of a murderer. Obviously for two reasons. Because one, Ahab was a murderer. Ahab did so many bad things. And he himself is also a murderer. Because he had already predetermined that he's come to cut off Elisha's head. And while they talked, that's when the messenger came and said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? This is another thing that I want us to study from tonight's study. We need to appreciate the fact that our choices have consequences. I've noticed a certain communication among us, especially Africans, that even though we have what we call the pull him down syndrome, many a times, it's not people who are pulling us down or evil spirits are pulling us down. Many a times, it's our own actions. And that's what many a times we don't appreciate. And when I would like to glorify in the fact that we have haters, so sometimes I see people's status and I'm looking at this person, oh, you, okay, are you worth hating? <laughs> like we are so quick to claim people hate us. So this son of Ahab, instead of him to rather decipher or rather learn or rather investigate as to why they are suffering this famine, he was quick to adjourn it to the Lord, forgetting that it was because of what his father had done. I think I shared on this podcast how a colleague at work was not pulling his weight at work and his direct boss was complaining that, oh, Charlie, before you before, before step up, then his, the boss above his boss was also complaining. Then an incident happened then. He had to be called. He had to be queried. Then when he came to the office, he was like, Charlie, Sam, people don't like me. Eh? People are to bring me down. And I looked at this man. I sat him down and I told him all the times that he has done things he's not supposed to do. I was like, hey, you dear, people are bringing me down. See what I said, who is bringing you down? Because these people, and I was really angry because the people who, that was his immediate boss and that's head of department and his head of the division were the ones who queried him. And he lost sight of the fact that it was these people who were literally, or who are literally saving his job. Because several times, or a few number of times, he has been wanted, or the owner or the CEO has wanted to sack him. But his head of department and his divisional head has always stepped in for him, making excuses that, oh, because of this, because of that. That's why it's like this, but it's something that they are working on. And these people who are literally saving your job are the ones you are referring to as haters, who are trying to bring him down. 
and he lost sight of the fact that it was because of what he was doing. And to him, it was like, oh, this small thing, and they are making a big case out of it. And then this small thing, I was just looking at him. And then I got to, I was like the writer of Proverbs. I looked at his statement and I and I got understanding. And I've had many people I like this. I remember I've said on the podcast before, ah, I listened to one spiritual instructor. And it was like, he has realized that most of the people who came to him regarding marriage, more than 95% of them or 99% of them, it has very little to do with a case. You know, they'll come and say, hey, it seems like I'm cursed. It seems like there's a monkey that is sitting on my shoulder that no young man or no young lady is coming to me or no, this is approaching me. When, if you look at this person's life, is the person's actions and inactions. But we are the least that we think about. It is always somebody trying to bring us down. I'm not denying the existence of people like this. People who are opacous, wicked and unreasonable men. But we make sure that before you ascribe any consequence to wicked and unreasonable men, you yourself are in check. And this king, instead of him to realize that it was because of what his father had done, and instead of him to rather plead or offer sacrifice as they, as they do in those days, he was quick to ascribe it to the Lord. Before you go around blaming people for bringing you down, make sure that is not your actions and inactions that is bringing yourself down. You don't expect to sow wrong seeds and reap also bad seeds and reap good seeds. So now let's go to the chapter 7. This is just a a prelude. So now in the chapter 7 and verse 1, this is when Elisha gave the prophecy. And look at how in quote, insane the prophecy is. We have been suffering famine where people are literally cooking their children. And Elisha didn't even come out to talk to them. But all he did was to speak and say through his messenger that tomorrow by this time, you know, this is where most of the, the puppets get their prophetic declarations from. Now says the Lord, tomorrow by this time, a month by this time, a day by this time. So this is the original person who says it. <laughs> he says that tomorrow by this time, a measure of flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And I'm sure right now with the recent severe hike in prices, many of us, especially those of us in Ghana, are appreciating these things. So it's like saying that um, now, so in our context, it's like saying that flour and maize, which is mostly our staple food that we use for porridge, we use for cake, we use for bangu, we use to feed our poultry. It's like saying that a sack of maize, I don't know the price, let's say we'll go for five cities and two sacks of something will go for ten cities. And the Bible says in the verse 2, then the Lord on whose the king lived answered the man of God and said, behold, if the Lord will make the heavens, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, my this thing be, he was doubting and reclaimed the word of the Lord. Then Elisha said, because of what you have said, you will see this, but you will not eat of it. You see, I like the way the Bible describes this person or this army. He's the army general, actually. The Bible described him as the man on whose arm the king lived. He said that, my friend, prophet, we are in trouble. We are coming to take your head. That is why I just prophesied from your stomach that tomorrow by this time, this ridiculous price will happen. And then Elijah said, because of what you have done, you would see this thing happen, but you will not enjoy it at the gate. And look at the choice of words that Elisha used, and hopefully next in the part two, we will peruse it at the gate of Samaria. Now, the thing that I want us to appreciate is that be careful of people. Not be careful. Do not become somebody 
who cannot be told the truth. So now, because this army general was the one on whom the king leaned upon, he wanted to make an impression to the king that this thing that this man is saying, forget him, he's just lying. That even if God, or is God going to open or make windows in heaven and pour out the, the flower or the maize? You see, many times people in leadership position are not told the truth. <laughs> I know recently in Ghana, uh, our, our president went to give a speech or something somewhere. Then I remember I saw a comment that the people who are surrounding this president, either they are not giving him the right information or they are giving him, but or the president himself is <laughs> the one who is conjoining these figures. And I realized that sometimes it's very true. Because as well, if you're a president, if you are a CEO, a captain of an industry, many a times those around you want to tell you things that are not true, just to make you feel like things are working because they are afraid of how you react. So this is the same thing that this man was doing. He was trying to downplay what the prophet has said. They are king. Don't mind this man. Eh? Is God going to open windows of heaven and pour out this thing? But the issue here is that do not become a person who cannot be told the truth. It's something that I've realized nowadays. That is why it's so difficult us to have genuine, lasting friendship with each other. Because immediately people make an attempt to tell us the truth. We pull out the do not judge card. Then we, we know scriptures for that. Remove the log in your eye. You have not removed the beam in your eye. I have to remove the log in my eye and mind your own business and all those things. We should not confuse when people are giving us an advice and we should not confuse advice with judgment. I remember one time, a particular friend of mine was doing something and a person came for help. And I told the person that I can help you and I can get people to help you. But you would end up putting yourself in a difficult situation if we help you the way you want us to help you. So from my advice, let's rather do it like this like that and like this. Thinking that this person would appreciate my genuine advice because I could have mobilized the help for the person and I could be 100% sure that we helping the person would rather put the person into serious debt. But the person was angry at me and that was the last I heard from the person. I kept calling the person, oh, I gave you an offer. Have you thought about the offer? And the person went around saying, eh? They don't believe in my dream. They don't believe in my vision. Why aren't they providing this? Why are they doing this? I was like, hey, we are the ones trying to help you by letting you have a more realistic and feasible approach so that you not launch yourself into a hole that you cannot dig. You rather became offended. And I realized that many a times we are like that. That is why people mostly lie to us, not consciously, but because they know that we cannot handle the truth. And I'm saying that do not become someone who you cannot be told the truth. It's especially where now everybody feels enlightened, everybody feels smart, everybody feels wise. We all feel like we are wise. We cannot be advised on anything. You see people make comments on things they have no business about. And when people in right place are giving them advice, you see the way we, we, we revolt against ideas. There are many people I am friends with. I just cannot tell them the truth because I know that if I should tell them the truth, it will be the last I will hear from them. Especially when I was on campus. I remember one day I was on campus and a, a guy came to me. He was into computer and coding and all those things. And he used to make good money. 
And it came to me, it was like, Charlie, um, a particular school, they were doing their elections and they wanted to do e-voting. E and he designed the system for them. But one of the aspirants have come to see him and the aspirants is bribing him with huge money so that he can rig the elections. And he has come to me that, what should he do? And the first thought, I looked at this guy. I said, what answer are you expecting me to tell you? Somebody has come to you that rigged the elections. I'll give you money. And you have come to see me for godly advice. What advice do you do now? Do you want me to give you? So you see, people are like this nowadays. They want people to endorse the thing that they are doing that is not right. You know the obvious answer. So if you have told me that, Charlie, you are, you are feeling weak, I should help you, I should pray with you, I should come up with a strategy of how you should respond to this candidate and tell him that, Charlie, we can't do what he's doing. That's a different matter. But you are asking me, what should you do? What again can you do as a child of God? So when that incident happened, it made me appreciate why the Bible says in the last days, people will be preaching things that people who want to hear each years. Because this was somebody, so I'm just looking at, imagine the situation where let's say I was, I, was a, I was a pastor and this guy used to bring me offerings, used to bring me seed. Oh, man of God, it's your birthday, the entrance. Then all of a sudden, one of my birthday, he comes and after bringing the birthday gifts, he tells me his story. He's indirectly telling me that, Charlie, the money I've been giving you, the money you have been enjoying, or the goods you have been enjoying, they are coming from somewhere. And right now, a bigger one is coming. And if only you can endorse my activity, obviously, you will feel some good out of it. So many a times, people cannot say the truth because people cannot accept the truth. That is why all of us, we are in relationships where we want people to always endorse our feelings. You are being jealous. We can't tell you that you are being jealous. You are being envious. We can't tell you. You are harboring bitterness. People cannot tell you. Your friends cannot tell you. All your friends tell you, oh, you are looking cute today. And you are right. Go and fight for your right. They are always endorsing you. It's like the story of, of 2 Chronicles 21, where Jehoshaphat was going to fight a war. And the king Ahab had 400 prophets on Baal. Who came to tell you, go to Ramon, Gilead and prosper. Go to Ramon. And they knew very well that when the king goes to Ramon, Gilead, he will die. That's what most of us will do. We gather around people who are always endorsing us. How many of your friends can correct you? Can tell you that, Charlie, you were being selfish. Charlie, you didn't do the right thing. But unfortunately, we can't have, we can't have friends like that. The last time I told a very good friend, that Charlie, what you did, and yeah. That was the end of it. I became a judgmental, know-it-all, righteous, <laughs> holier-than-thou person. But people are not like that. And this king had a man who was always telling, oh, king, you are doing the right thing. Oh, king, is the people who are not correct. Oh, king, don't worry. This prophet, he doesn't know what he says. So he made a mockery of what the prophet said. And because of that, Elijah said, you will see, but you will not hear. I feel impressed so much to remind us about these things. If you are not that kind of person that you can be corrected, even by your own peers, you are really living a dirty life. Because when you become that big person, when you become that influential person, you will surround yourself with who are always endorsing, in quote, your stupidity, or endorsing you, giving you wrong figures. Oh, the country is okay. The Ghanaians are happy. Ghanaians are enjoying. <laughs> Immediately somebody speaks, that means he's in opposition party. That's what how especially politics in Ghana is. If somebody talks about something that the current government is doing, 
oh, you are in opposition. Meaning that everybody in your party should agree with what you are doing, even if you are doing the wrong thing. And it's not possible that you would always do the right thing. It's not possible. But yet still, politicians will gather around themselves, people who are saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what we are also doing in our own lives. If you are playing the buffoonery, people cannot approach you and tell that Charlie, what you did was selfish. That is why when we get married or when we enter into relationships, we struggle a lot. Because then you would be in the situation when somebody will tell you that Charlie, you are being selfish, you are not being caring, you are not being thoughtful, you are not showing commitment. Because all your life, people have been endorsed. Oh, you are a nice person. You are a kind person. You are a lovely person. So imagine you have been hearing all these sweet things and you enter into a relationship and the beloved starts telling you that, Charlie, you are not thoughtful. You are, you are being selfish. You are being jealous. You are being like, hey, where is all these things coming from? And that is why we are really struggling to have good and healthy relationships. But immediately, so let's continue. We are about ending and I just love the, the, the paradigm between the spiritual and the physical. So look at the verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entry of the gate. Look at the two scenarios. Elijah has given the prophets that are tomorrow by this time. This is what is going to happen. And the next line is about leprous people who are at their gate and they are thinking of how they will survive. So remember when we did the unusual in the usual. I love how both the spiritual, how how God uh, interplays in our normal days to do tremendous things. So one would assume that after this declaration has been released into the atmosphere, the next thing you hear is that some wind is coming, the rains are coming, and it's coming to water the land of the, of the, of the Samaritans, and yeah, harvest is coming to increase. But the next thing you hear is about four leprous men at the same gate of Samaria. And if these leprous men had no idea what the prophet had said, they would just mind their own business. And there were four leprous men at the entry of the gate. And they said to one, why do we sit here until we die? If we do not read the ending of this chapter, you would have you would struggle to appreciate the correlation between God solving a massive famine and economic crisis and four leprous men. That is why I keep reminding us on this podcast that the miraculous we are expecting, the unusual big move of God we are expecting happens in our normal day-to-day life. So after this huge prophetic word has been declared, the next scene is about leprous men. I should think that the next scene should be about agricultural experts. Or the next scene should have been about army generals, how they are going to conquer nations and bring great victory. But the next scene is about four leprous men who were dying of hunger. And you see, I love how God orders the events of our lives, even the events of nations. And it's as though these leopards were on their own thinking of how they would survive. But little did these leopards themselves even know that the reason why they had the discussion they had, it was because a prophetic word has been released. You see, never downplay your daily activities. And that's what the episode, the usual, the unusual in the usual sought to do. It was to waken our senses 
to the reality that God is working behind the scenes of our life, is to waken us to the consciousness that God is ordering the events of our life through our seemingly normal and routine life. There's a prophetic declaration that has been that has been released. Sometimes certain thoughts, and we looked at the fact that a thought came to Moses just to then visit his brothers, the Israelites. Then is when he saw somebody beating an Israelite. A thought just occurred to him. The Bible said after it came to his heart as a spiritual person. Take note of the thoughts and the impressions that God gives you. That is why I know the topic, six things to pray for in the year 2022. The first one is that we will not miss God. Because sometimes God can bring things. You are expecting something huge. But sometimes they are not going to come through experts. They are not going to come through big offers. They are not going to come through the packaging and the dressing you are expecting. They are going to come through four leprous men. And they said to themselves, why do we sit here until we die? We would just like to pause here at the and want to just spend some time in prayer. And I'm just telling God that we want to be mindful of the life we are living. We are almost done with the first quarter. Or if we are done with the first quarter, we are finished enjoying our Easter. We need to appreciate the facts. We need to have a healthy appreciation of the results of our decisions, of the consequences of our action. By just telling God that Father, may we live in the reality of every day, that every choice we are making has a significant effect on the lives we will live and those related to us. May we prioritize every day, for that is how we prioritize a month. And prioritizing every day is prioritizing every month. Is prioritizing every year and is prioritizing every our life. Father, we pray that we live in a consciousness that our actions have consequences. We pray that we live in a consciousness of what we do, the effects of the seeds we sow. For the Bible says that for God cannot be mocked. For whatever a man, whatever, whatever a man sows, that which will also reap, it will be a mockery to God. If we sow something else and reap something different. But Father, we pray for grace that we will be conscious of the effects of our association. We will be conscious to associate ourselves with the wise. Because by that, we become wise ourselves. And we will be deliberate to flee from every act, from every association of foolishness. Because from that, we will destroy ourselves. Father, we pray for grace. Remind us constantly not to take our actions for granted. Remind us consciously not to take our words for granted. For the Bible that for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will condemn. Remind us, Lord, to take our thoughts consciously, conscious of our thoughts life in the name of our Lord Jesus. Finally, as I said at the last part, that a prophetic word had been released and these four members men were just living their normal lives. We want to pray to God, our Father, we will not miss you. That all the impressions that God will give you, sometimes you just get a thought. Call this person. Do not take those thoughts for granted. Sometimes you don't get an impression. Visit this person. Sometimes God is working through the normal events of your life because of a prophetic release. But sometimes we downplay the impressions that God gives us because we are expecting something in a different packaging. But that economic shift that the people of Samaria were expecting was not going to come to an agenda, was not going to come to an expected agriculture. 
Father, we're going to come by all the cross people. Father, we pray that all this year we will not miss you. That we be sensitive to you. That when open the events of our life, we will not restrict you, but we will be in the flow. We will flow in you in the nation of God so that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Father, may you have an ear for God. May you be sensitive to your leadings. May you be sensitive to your promptings. May you be sensitive to your flow. That in the times in which you are moving, in the usual events of our life, we will be in the flow. We will be in the flow. For we know that you are working behind the scenes of our life. We know that you are orchestrating the events of our life for our good. And we know that at the gate of Samaria is when destiny is changed. We thank you, Lord, that you have not given up on us. We thank you for your ever-refreshing word. The word that brings us life and that brings us direction. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Wow. The word of God is so sweet. It's so, so sweet. Thank you for being with us. Lord, we will next week we look at at the gate of Samaria. What actually happened? At the gate of Samaria, and how was the prophecy of Elisha fulfilled? See you next week. And remember that we are still giving God our very best, and we are owing no man nothing but love. See you next week, and bye bye.